Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. Also want to let you know we're sponsored in part today by Athletic Greens. And in addition to having 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals and all sorts of other things that you need, it actually tastes good. Right, Jim? So you're like, okay, well, at least it's good for me. But how does this stuff taste? And you take it out, and it's green powder. And you're thinking, oh, this, is this thing going to taste like kale? Is this going to taste like a, you know, drinking a giant glass of broccoli or something like that? Is this going to be you know, terrible, awful? And in fact, no, dear listeners. You just you know, put in one scoop, add cold water, and lo and behold, it's, it's minty. It's kind of like green tea matcha. It's really a delightful, pleasant drink, and you're going to be able to you know, drink it down pretty quickly. And boom, you've got all the vitamins you need. Much easier than taking a bunch of pills. Much easier than trying to, you know, what time of day are you supposed to take it? One glass a day of AG1 takes care of all your needs, and it's really delightful and tasty. It also contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. So uh, it's healthy for you and it tastes good. It also costs you less than $3 a day, which right now comes in pretty handy, uh, given what we're about to talk about here in our first martini. So uh, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com martini. Again, that is athleticgreens.com martini to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. One more time, athleticgreens.com slash martini. Jim, uh, like you say sometimes when we're talking about uh, Joe Biden's terrible poll numbers in the good martini, it might sound a, a tad repetitive, but the what's being pulled on keeps changing a little bit. It's not just overall approval and disapproval. It's not necessarily just how he's doing on specific issues. All this, this latest poll has that as well. But it's also what Americans are prioritizing heading into the midterm elections, which are now just five months away with more and more primaries coming here and tomorrow and in the, the weeks ahead. Uh, ABC News with the latest poll and their analysis says with inflation on the rise since last fall, Americans have been significantly affected by the rising cost of goods and services. True. And more than eight in 10 Americans, 83 percent now say that the economy is either an extremely or very important issue in determining how they will vote, according to the latest ABC News Ipsos poll. In the poll, 80 percent of Americans say that inflation is also an extremely or very important factor in how they will vote. And for gas prices, it is 74 percent. Uh, Joe Biden's approval rating for his handling on all these issues are deeply underwater. For inflation, 28% approve, 71% disapprove. For gas prices, 27% approve, 72% disapprove. Uh, economic recovery, it's 37 and 61, uh, respectively. So, Jim, when you're below 30, uh, your party is uh, running away from you with its hair on fire. So I wouldn't expect to see Biden appearing in a lot of swing state campaign events for Democrats uh, coming up soon. But I mean, I've just seen gas prices go up 30 cents in the last few days. Where I live, it's about 4.79 now. I just heard DC on average is above five dollars a gallon thanks to their insane taxes, uh, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And that means Americans are obviously paying attention, and they know who's not doing anything to fix it. Greg, just about every morning, or at least every weekday, I check the AAA gas price site. 
Um, each day for a long stretch, it has had a new record. And listeners, if you, you know, if you're driving, I'm sorry to tell you this while you're uh, while you're driving, you may want to sit down. You may want to brace yourself. Currently, the national average as of this morning is four dollars and eighty six cents. So we're actually on the not so bad part uh, here in Northern Virginia, Greg. Although. Uh, that's really stretching it. If you are in the state of California, the statewide average is $6.34. About a dollar's worth of that is state taxes. That is really, really bad. And so why is this a good martini? Well, the American electorate is screaming at the White House and Congress about as loudly and clearly as it possibly can. The biggest problem in our lives right now is inflation and the you know, very closely tied issue in issue of gas prices, right? In addition to you know, the general inflationary effects of a whole lot of money chasing a whole lot of goods, when getting everything to the store gets a lot more expensive because the cost of diesel fuel is even higher, uh, that is a major inflationary pressure on everything you buy. They can't be any clearer. And yet the attitude of the Biden administration is, well, you know, maybe this uh, 2020, the 2022 midterms are gonna turn on the issue of abortion or maybe it's gonna turn on gun control and uh, we gotta do something about these mass shootings. The headline in a, you know, in a story in Politico, another one of those White House and disarray articles. By the way, like there's an argument that the, you know, the mainstream media is reluctant to share bad news about a democratic presidency. But I think it's just gotten too big. It's gotten too glaring. It's gotten too much that even the most uh, enthusiastic democratic cheerleader this side of Jen Rubin has to say, things are going very badly. And that, you know, this is not the way the White House wanted to be. Things are looking bad before the midterms. And, you know, the, one of the things that's kind of fascinating about this political story is that it says that Biden is bubbling over with frustration. Greg, if only he was in a position to do something about it. It's really kind of fascinating to see how he's, he's this hapless bystander to the condition of the country. And there's just nothing he can do. And everyone's being so unfair and everyone's being so, you know, judgmental of him and all that stuff. But the, the, the headline is Biden wants to get out more, seething that his standing is now worse than Trump's. And I'm just going to say that, how, you know, how deep in denial do you have to be to look at the entire state of the country and for Joe Biden to say, the problem is I'm not out there on the campaign trail enough. <laughs> like that's going to change anything. Exactly right. Exactly right. Nobody's going to want him. Anybody within 10, 15 points <laughs> of their opponent on the Democratic side is going to uh, treat him like the plague or COVID or whatever. But uh, he's not going to be on he's not going to be on the stump very much in uh, states that are going to matter. All right, Jim, also brought to you in part today on the Three Martini Lunch by NetChoice. As Americans, innovation has always been what makes us different. America's tech industry outpaces the world. We have the most innovative companies that power our economy and way of life. Free market innovation is what makes us number one. But some in Washington want to put big government in charge of America's top innovators, attacking our own in the name of competition, while our true competitors like Europe and China close the gap. NetChoice believes congressional conservatives must stand for American innovation, not big government, by rejecting progressive antitrust proposals. They encourage you to tell your senator to oppose Senator Amy Klobuchar's Senate Resolution 2992. Learn more about the fight and send a letter to your representatives at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. So, 
Jim, uh, with the sky-high gas prices and sky-high everything prices out there that we just talked about in the first martini, you're going to get a lot of lefties, especially Biden and Buttigieg and maybe Jenny Granholm over at Energy, saying, you know what, this is the perfect time to transition to electric vehicles. If you had an electric vehicle, you wouldn't have to pay these high prices at the pump. Well, let me just tell you, electric vehicles are an absolute nightmare. And if you don't believe me, Rachel Wolf has written about this at length over at the Wall Street Journal. It was in the print edition uh, on Saturday. She and a friend decided to take an electric vehicle from New Orleans to Chicago and back. And so in doing so, they had to kind of map out where these uh, fast charge stations were, and then they would uh, charge it overnight wherever they stopped to stay in a hotel and so forth. And they thought they had this all figured out. Well, it turns out she actually spent 18 hours charging the vehicle on this round trip, which is two more hours than she spent sleeping, trying to figure out what charging station is next, calculating how long it would take to charge there, and just about every time it took far, far longer. And that's if the charging station was even working. The people at these uh, dealerships and so forth didn't really know how they worked a lot of the times. And so apparently when you get to 80% of the recharge, it slows down, so it takes even longer. And basically, by the time she was done, she was really excited to pay over $4 a gallon for gas, which we are not, Jim. But, uh, I mean, this if this is the solution, uh, we got to start from scratch. Uh, because, uh, as I noted after the I-95 debacle this year, uh, you know, if you're constantly trying to figure out how long your battery is going to go before it dies and then you get stuck in a major traffic jam, uh, this is going to be an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And by the way, I think, first of all, I, I recommend this piece. Uh, it, it's obviously still online. I, I saw it Saturday morning and it was just this great example of vivid, humorous storytelling journalism. And and kind of the subtext is whether you love electric vehicles or you hate electric vehicles, Rachel Wolf's experience in the middle of the country going from Chicago, New Orleans to Chicago and back indicates that there just aren't enough charging stations to make a long distance drive like this. Uh, certainly doesn't make it easy. Uh, and it involves long stretches of having to recharge. Uh, different vehicles are going to have, it's a Kia EV6 was the vehicle she used. Now, maybe there are better models out on the market. I think what she was describing and experienced, and it sounded like other owners of other electric vehicles have described, is they tell you, know, how many times have you bought a product and it's not quite as good as the specs said it was going to be? And you could take it back and have it returned, but it's not quite bad enough to, to require it. Well, it sounds like, you know, sometimes you can get, I don't know whether it's a bad battery or just one that isn't quite up to snuff, but it takes longer to recharge than the, you know, owner's manual indicates that it should. And it's a rental. God knows what the previous driver did, stuff like that. You know, maybe there are other factors at work. All she can tell you is her experience. And it sounds like a semi-nightmarish experience. She has another driver. Um, and, you know, this it's kind of this comedy of errors. But time and time again, they're trying to calculate where the nearest charger is. Sometimes it's a dealership, sometimes at other places. Sometimes it's in not-so-great neighborhoods in the middle of the night, and then you got to stand alone. Thankfully, it's her and her, her friend. And so there's uh, less risk of that. But in other words, the, the infrastructure is not there. And maybe this is a little bit of a chicken and egg thing where people are like, well, there aren't enough chargers because not enough people are driving electrical vehicles and people aren't buying enough electrical vehicles because there aren't enough chargers and all that stuff. The good news is if you are driving a good old fashioned gas, you know, gasoline powered car, as much as you're aggravated by the high gas prices, you at least know that, you know, there's, there's pretty much a gas station 
uh, not too far away in every community in America. Like the infrastructure is there and you don't have to worry about whether, you know, the gasoline at that gas station is going to work in your car. All gasoline, gasoline pretty much works the same from car to car. Maybe you have a diesel vehicle or something like that, but basically this, and it just sounds like a nightmare. And so the idea is like, look, if you live in a city and you don't have to drive particularly long distances and you just need to zip around town or something like that, then maybe an electrical vehicle uh, is, is the right answer for you. I was recently buying a car, looked at it, or I was thinking about a hybrid, uh, really wanted to get that unbelievably and ludicrously too generous uh, tax rebate. I think it was up to $7,500. Um, and basically looked at it and it didn't, uh, didn't make sense for me. Uh, we'll be going to South Carolina and I, on, on next week. And it just sounds like doing a long road trip in an electric vehicle is really, really difficult. You have to plan ahead and figure out where those charging stations are. And then, you know, when you're filling up with gas, it takes like what, you know, five, 10 minutes at the most, uh, you know, 15, if there's a line. An electric charging station, it can take a really long stretch. Maybe you can plug it in and go get lunch or something like that. But it just becomes this new Megillah, this new aggravation. And it sounded like, you know, even by her calculations, she kept having to stop more frequently than she expected to because the charge wasn't lasting. So I suggest everybody read it, particularly if you're thinking about buying an electric car. I'm not saying don't buy it. I'm saying be aware of the challenges. And this was a particularly good funny, entertaining, and kind of, you know, potentially nightmare-inducing uh, portrait of what it's like to try to go on a road trip with an electric car. Yeah, it's funny because we weren't there. I don't think you and I would have yeah. been laughing all that <laughs> if that had been the situation. But yeah, I mean, the, the estimation for how long the charge is going to last uh, was consistently underperforming. So they had to keep uh, stopping to charge and, and scramble to find places all over the place. And I mentioned the I-95 uh, debacle where people were stuck for like 27 hours. Your car would be completely toast there uh, in that situation. You know, this is all supp- supposedly about being environmentally friendly, right? You know, this is about not using fossil fuels and we're, you know, we're using uh, different ways of, of powering vehicles. Well, the electricity still has to come from somewhere. And if we convert mm-hmm. to renewables, that's not going to measure up to more and more people needing to have these things. And uh, I don't know where people think batteries for electric cars come from and what's involved in there in terms of minerals and elements. Let me just tell you, they don't come from the sky and they don't fall off of trees. They are mined in places where workers are exploited pretty horrifically in Africa and elsewhere. And what's happening to the environment there, I would argue, is uh, exponentially worse than extracting fossil fuels. So the hypocrisy, the uh, the inefficiency, it all leads up to, you know, obviously an inconsistency on the part of the left. But ultimately, it makes me wonder if they even want us taking road trips anymore. Greg, Greg, when those exploited workers pass away, they stop emitting carbon. (laughs) That's very dark. No, I'm not saying it's a good thing. That's sarcasm. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You think there's I can see media media matters saying (laughs) National Review endorses exploitation of foreign labor. No, no, I'm saying this is a bad thing. We should, you know, not overlook it in our push to become uh, more uh, environmentally friendly and all that. But uh, hey, it's the environmentalists who are like, no, no, no not, let's not think about that. Let's just think about the quiet hum of our electric cars as we finally wait for them to recharge over and over again. If you think there was dark humor in this martini, just wait till the next one. But uh, <laughs> before we do that, let's talk about another thing that environmentalists hate, 
Awesome meat. Ah, yes. The Moink Box. If you've never had a Moink Box show up on your porch, I'm sorry. But that can be corrected by ordering one or ordering one for someone that you love. And not only is the meat fantastic, and I oh so, oh so love the bacon. The steaks are fantastic. The chicken, everything in there is good. But they also produce it the right way. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did. As a result, Moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does matter, and it does it better. The Moink difference is a difference that you can taste, and you can feel good knowing you're helping family farms stay financially independent as well. And you can choose the meat that gets delivered in every box, from ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops to salmon fillets and much, much more. Plus, you can cancel anytime. So keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash martini right now. And listeners of the Three Martini Lunch will get free filet mignon in every order for a year. How do you beat that? That's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but it's only for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash martini. That's moinkbox.com slash martini. Cancel culture is coming to your bank and holding the wrong political views might soon leave you out in the cold. I'm Bill Walton. On the latest episode of The Bill Walton Show, Todd Zwicky, Paul Watkins, and I discuss what is already happening, how the Biden administration is already pursuing this agenda, and what we can do about it. This progressive culture offensive is relentless. It's coming for you, and you won't hear about this anywhere else. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim. We finally have a winner in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Only took two and a half weeks and multiple lawsuits and recounts and that sort of thing. But Dr. Oz hung on to his small lead. Uh, David McCormick conceded. So it is now Fetterman versus Oz for the uh, Pennsylvania Senate seat being vacated at the end of this Congress by Pat Toomey. But as if the Republican uh, scenario weren't convoluted enough. We still have the problem of John Fetterman, the Democratic nominee. Far left, uh, do not want to see him in the United States Senate. But uh, as time goes on, uh, the stroke that he suffered just days before the primary keeps getting clarified more and more to the point where there's a lot he didn't tell us, A, leading up to the primary, but also what happened uh, with the stroke. And so uh, Fetterman's statement following the stroke was, I had a stroke that was caused by a clot from my heart being in an AFib rhythm for too long. Fortunately, Giselle spotted the symptoms and got me to the hospital uh, within minutes on my way to making a full recovery, uh, dot, dot, dot. But as you point out in the uh, morning jolt today, Jim, Fetterman's cardiologist issued a statement that said, I first saw John in 2017. He was experiencing swelling in his feet and came to get it checked out. That's when I diagnosed him with atrial fibrillation in a regular heart rhythm along with a decreased heart pump. I had prescribed medications along with improved diet and exercise and asked him to follow up again in the following months. Instead, I did not see him again until yesterday. John did not go to any doctor for five years and did not continue taking his uh, medications. Now Fetterman admits that he almost died with this stroke. Uh, still got a ways to go to be fully recovered. Um, uh, I think there was a diagnosis of, of cardiomyopathy in there. So, I mean, uh, this guy's not in good health, uh, Jim. And so we've got a uh, couple of, well, questionable candidates here headed towards the final election. Yeah. So for all the listeners who remember uh, my assessment of the Republican options before the primary, 
Congratulations, Mehmet Oz. Um, I, I suppose as a, if I lived in the state of Pennsylvania, a vote for Mehmet Oz is a vote for a Republican majority. Let's go, Oz. Let's go. <laughs> that's the enthusiasm we're looking for. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I got in terms of enthusiasm. Now, the, the thing I would observe, though, and, and I think I've tried to write about this today with a certain level of sensitivity and empathy. Um, John Fetterman, again, I, I hope John Fetterman lives to be 100, and I hope that he is in terrific health for the rest of his days. But there's really no getting around the fact that, A, the initial statement that he put out on May 15th, which, oh, by the way, he suffered the stroke on May 13th, was simply not an accurate description of his health condition. And if you're a Pennsylvania Democrat and you feel like there's been a bait and switch or you feel like there has been a uh, he's been less than forthcoming about the seriousness of his health crisis, I think you have every right to feel that way. And the second factor is uh, John Fetterman is a 52 year old man uh, back by 2017. He weighed like 418 pounds. Now he lost, he got down to about 270 within a year. So on the one hand, I salute you, John Fetterman, losing weight is not easy. On the other hand, when you are north of 400 pounds, even if you're 6'9", that's a lot of pressure on your heart. And it sounds like this note for this initial, you know, uh, appointment with his doctor back in 2017, uh, diagnosed that he had a weakened heart, that his heart was not pumping, that the heart muscle had been uh, weakened because of all the pressure it had been in because of his you know, exceptional weight. And that doctor put him on medication. And look, you know, many of us are no strangers to having a doctor tell us something we didn't want to hear, uh, that we have to lose weight, that we have to exercise more, that we have to diet, things like that. Uh, John Fetterman dealt with that apparently by taking, I guess, the initial prescription medication and then not renewing the prescription and not seeing a doctor for five years. John Fetterman is very lucky to be alive right now. Um, I think, you know, does this mean he's disqualified for the Senate? I, I don't think that's necessarily it. But look, you know, there's been this drip, drip, drip of holy crow, this thing was really much, this, this you know, stroke was much more serious than they're letting on. And those initial statements made it sound like it was this really minor issue. He has not done any public appearances since. Um, there's a Washington Post story that his speech is not back 100% to what it used to be. And I, I think he, his family, by the way, he's a father of three school aged children. And the Pennsylvania Democratic Party have to sit, and his doctors have to sit down and have a very serious talk about what is in the best long-term interest for John Fetterman. Because the Senate campaign, I don't think is really easily aligned with recovery from a near fatal stroke. That that really doesn't seem, you know, you're traveling across the country, the hours are long, you're sleeping in the, you know, the cheap motels, God knows if you're eating healthy, you know, it just doesn't, you know, like younger, healthier people find a Senate campaign exhausting. And it's kind of a question of, can he do this at, at the same time he's trying to recover from this? I don't know if there's physical therapy involved. You know, it just seems like a lot. He, he did win his primary by a very solid margin, but I don't think a Senate seat is worth dying for. Now, look, maybe you know, his doctor said he expects he should be, you know, able to make a full recovery. He say cleared him for, for campaigning and stuff. But I wonder if some people are kind of in denial about how serious the risks are and kind of a question about whether it's worth it. So I hope those conversations are happening, Greg. I, I don't, you know, not just my usual, oh, I hope a Republican wins. Look, I don't want to see anybody die because of how badly they want to win a Senate race, much less say, you know, father of three kids. So I hope he's doing okay. I hope he's recovering fine. But this feels like political pressure leading somebody to making a potentially very unwise decision. So 
Uh, I think this is a good time for caution. We'll see how this shakes out. But the fact that the uh, initial answers and explanations about his hospitalization were really a lie of omission is not encouraging. Um, initially describing it as a hiccup or as a small issue, and then later on, two weeks later, saying, oh, yeah, I nearly died. Um, let's uh, let's make the right decision for Fetterman, and let's make the right decision for the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, especially, I think the important thing here, I assume he won't drop out, so I think the important thing here will be whether he's able to recover to the point where he can walk and talk as people remember him doing both of those things and people thinking he's up to the job, because if he can, uh, I got to think he's a pretty strong favorite in this race, given how unpopular Oz is statewide. Not saying I would want that to happen, but uh, I think Fetterman, and I hope he survives, but I think uh, whether he's alive or not, he wins the race. Yeah, I mean, my one quibble with that uh, there, Greg, is ironically, there's been almost no Oz to Fetterman head to head polling. So we don't know. We don't know. It's, it's a, you know, generally considered a blue to purple state, but it looks like it's going to be a good year for Republicans. Um, Oz will have his own personal fortune. I'm sure he's got close to 100% name ID, things like that. Um, and the other curious factor is like, look, so the question, you know, Fetterman's whole thing is like, look, we've all seen him. We've seen the nickname White Thanos. Um, you know, he usually walks around in shorts and, and you know, very sweatshirt, casual clothes. His whole selling point is he tells it like it is, right? He gives you, he gives you the ugly truth. He doesn't care, you know, if you like it or if it's pretty, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing slick or stage managed about him. And now we find out he wasn't really honest about his health condition. And I kind of wonder if that take, you know, damages the public perception of him a bit. And the other thing is, is that you can say, oh, you know, if he comes back and he seems normal, well, then maybe the health issue will fade. I don't think the health, I think the health issue is going to be an issue between now and November. And oh, by the way, you know, he's, he's running against one of America's most famous doctors. Like there's no way this stops being an issue between now and November. If Dr. Oz literally saves his life during a debate or something like that, then I think Oz might have a decent shot at winning this thing, which would be good for Republican control. Is there a doctor in the house? Yes. And let me tell you about beats. <laughs> so uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. Not exactly the race we were expecting uh, when we found out that Pat Toomey wasn't going to run for re-election. But uh, it's a crazy year. and. This looks to be one of the craziest races out there. So we'll keep watching this and everything to come. Tomorrow's another primary day, so plenty to see you there as well. Jim, talk to you on Tuesday. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. We'd love to have them along for the ride as well in a gas-powered vehicle, though. Um, uh, we <laughs> also thank you for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and join us again on Tuesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. Former Russiagate investigator Cash Patel takes us deep into what we know about the Russia hoax and talks about his new children's book on the subject. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll also explain how the powerful are openly telling you how they plan to restrict your freedom of speech and keep track of your every move. But of course, they say it's all for your own good. Join me. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.